Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Finally, Too Many Podcasts has an episode about classical music. I'm really looking forward to the interview with Casey Bozell of Keep Classical Weird. So am I, Casey is a violinist in an orchestra. That inspired me to take up the violin again. Would you like to hear me play? I would love to hear it. Go ahead. Wasn't that an inspiring piece of music? Absolutely. Now I'm inspired to go see my dentist to repair my fillings that just cracked. Attention rebels of the sure pollution. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, a podcast from this high altitude might make you think the Sherpa is funny. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hey there, podcast listener. You've clicked the play button, so why not stick around for the show? And that show would be Too Many Podcasts with, don't tell me, don't tell me, I know his name, I know his name, it's me, Jim the Podcast Sherpa. Hello, how are you? Guess what? It's a theme week. Cue the orchestra. It's theme week. It's theme week. It's theme week. And this week's theme is classical music. Now, I know you're going, wait a minute. No, I don't want to hear something about classical music. This is when you want to hear Rebels. I found a really great podcast host, and she was so much fun to talk to. You can tell that we really enjoyed ourselves in our conversation. Who's our guest today, Sherpa? Her name is Casey Bozell, and she hosts a podcast called Keep Classical Weird and It's about all the little idiosyncrasies about classical music, and Casey definitely knows her stuff, and rightfully so, because Casey is a trained classical violinist who plays in an orchestra, and she definitely knows a lot about classical music, and she makes it a lot of fun and accessible for her listeners, and we talked about making classical music accessible to people, and maybe what the stigma is behind it, but 
you can tell we had a blast. I gotta say, season six is still pretty young, but this is gonna be one of my favorites for the season. And if you have a listen, I think you'll find out why. So let's have a listen to my conversation with Casey Bozell of Keep Classical Weird. Hello there, Rebels. We are in the orchestra pit of the Sherpa Chalet, and we're talking classical music today. We don't really get to talk about stuff like that, but you know me. I like things where I can get edumacated, as they say, and I've got a perfect teacher right on the other end of this Zoom call. Her name is Casey Bozell. She hosts a podcast called Keep classical weird and if you're talking weird you've definitely come to the right show you know i was just <laughs> thinking if i could have had like a little orchestral music we could be like casey is here casey is here <laughs> so hello casey you're here hello that was the most beautiful introduction i've ever had that's <laughs> that was on theme it was wonderful so thank you <laughs> <laughs> you are you are quite welcome, my friend. So welcome to the show. We got to get to know you a little bit and, you know, what brought about this podcast. But let's get to know you first. Okay, sure. I, um, I am a musician based in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I'm a violinist primarily. I uh, play in the opera orchestra and ballet orchestra here in Portland, and I'm the concertmaster of the Newport Symphony, which is out of the coast. I'm also a violin teacher, and now, as of as of May, a classical music podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I've been here for 13 years now, and it's it's work it's working. The, <laughs> the musician freelance lifestyle is working out here, so I'm going to keep doing it. You used an interesting word just now. You said concertmaster. What what exactly is a concertmaster? Oh yeah, really good question. Um, the concertmaster of any orchestra is the first chair, first violinist. Um, they sit kind of right under the nose of the conductor and they're really responsible for kind of in a way, you know, not only leading the first violin section, but also the orchestra in certain parts. They're kind of like a first officer to like the conductor. Like if I, if I can use a Star Trek analogy, I would be, I would be like the Spock to the conductor's Kirk. Or the Riker to the Picard, whatever you prefer. <laughs> you, you're the highly logical violinist of the orchestra. I do, right. <laughs> right. I try to be, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, it's uh, it's kind of like um, they serve as, as leader and uh, sometimes liaison between musician and conductor, sometimes between instrumentalist and podium. There are just conversations that need to happen. So that's kind of the, the person in charge. How long have you put, been playing the violin? How, what got you into it? Oh, boy. I always have to do the math when people ask me this question because I keep forgetting how old I am. <laughs> um, I try and keep math out of this, Casey, but it's okay. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Darn. I have been playing the violin for almost 29 years. Yes, that's right. So I started when I was nine, which actually in my industry is is kind of on the late side. There's a lot of my colleagues who started when they were five, four, some even three years old, uh, you know, they had a violin in their hands. Um, so, but I was lucky enough to participate in my school's, uh, my public school's music program, which existed when I was that age. It's the funniest thing. They had kind of a, a, a fair, I guess, where people showed up and said, would you like to try this instrument? Would you like to try this? And I wanted to play the oboe and the line for the oboe was really long. And so I ended up in the violin line instead. <laughs> <laughs> so one different line and it changed your whole career. Yes. Which thank goodness I'm like asthmatic and I don't like the oboe is just, I don't think I'm genetically inclined to be a, a wind player in any sense. So I really, really ended up 
with the right instrument. <laughs> and how did you end up with the podcast? Obviously, your experience brought you to, you know, your, your niche, obviously. What, what made you decide to do to want to do the podcast? Well, you know, I get uh, when I was teaching, um, when I was an adjunct professor at this college for, gosh, I taught there for 10 years. Uh, music appreciation was one of the classes that I taught. And I loved it. I loved mostly just being really excited about my field and being able to present that knowledge to my students. And I loved watching their reaction because when people discover certain things, especially about classical music for the first time, they can have like a really wondrous reaction or sometimes like a really visceral reaction. And I love seeing all of that because all of those are like valid and really important to our art form to have just kind of swirling around there. So I was performing in an opera with my colleagues in the opera orchestra. And we went out for a drink afterwards one day and I was telling them how much I was enjoying this class. And I said, gosh, you know what? I just wish I, I want like, I should just like start a podcast where I just get really excited about classical music. And one of my friends turned towards me and she's like, yeah, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> so I was and the light bulb came on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I should be doing that. So, um, <laughs> yes. And then, as if from heaven, I learned what to do next. Um, but I, I love uh, choosing these topics. I have um, a good friend of mine is on uh, a lot of these podcasts, Dr. Sophia Taggart. She is a music history professor uh, at Washington State University. She delves into music history stuff with me in a lot of episodes, and we have a lot of good banter. But just exploring are things it's not I, I think people have this idea about classical music that it is maybe an only elitist thing that like you have to some certain echelon of society to enjoy or to appreciate and that's not true at all and I you know can't imagine anybody less high class than myself and my colleagues so I've never really there's always been this disconnect there um so I wanted to explore that and uh so I started my own kind of, um, I call it an anti-snobbery campaign to try and like get people excited and interested in classical music and not let the fact that it seems unapproachable in some fashion be a stopping point for anybody. That was actually going to lead into my next question. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, there is such a, a disconnect with a lot of people when it comes to classical music. Like you said, they think that it's an elitist thing, but it's music. It's something to be appreciated. You know, it's like people. Everybody can walk into a museum and look at the same paintings and the same sculptures. You can all hear the same types of things. What are some of the things that you like doing? Make it seem a little bit less scary for people who. Uh, might be a little intimidated by classical. Sure, sure. Well, I think um, I, I kind of look at like all of classical music as people see classical music and they see it as like this hobby that if they want to get into, they have to be super duper knowledgeable about it beforehand. I feel like maybe sometimes people think that way about like wine tasting or something. You know, if I want to get into wine, I have to know like the different types of wine and I have to know what kind of flavors hit the palate. And in my opinion, no, you don't just start drinking wine, like just and see what happens. And that's what I think too. You don't have to know a lot about classical music. Just like start listening to something. Think of a composer that you like. And then, and today it's so easy too. You can... You can Google a composer or you can pull it up on like a Pandora's type app and then see what composer comes next. And then if you like something, you go, oh, what is this? And then you say, okay, I like this. 
what else can I know about this? And that can lead you down a great path of discovery. You don't have to have a great expansive knowledge to really understand the genre. Um, It can help down the line if you really get into it to start reading a few things you know, and, and get a little better educated. You can even have, you can even have a greater appreciation for it down the line, but it's the starting point and it's the entry point. I feel like for most people that it's such a massive genre and it spans so many centuries that that can be really, really intimidating. Sure. Now, if you were going to tell somebody how to get into it, are there certain artists where you should say, you know what, maybe try listening to this first and then, you know, kind of make that your springboard. Uh, are there That's, any artists like that or, or is it, does it kind of depend on the person? I feel like it depends on the person. I feel okay. like there's so much classical music that there's something in it for everyone. Um, I've found that like my students who are, you know, mostly teenagers at this point, they're really into somebody like uh, Shostakovich, this romantic Russian really led this really like dark angst filled life. And that's portrayed in all of his music. And when you're a dark, angst-filled teenager, that's what you want to play and just what you want to listen to and ah, absorb and feel all your feelings. And that's a great way to do it. So um, if you want something really dark and exploding with like feelings and emotions like that, you maybe go Shostakovich. Tchaikovsky is another one. This, uh, you know, really romantic, emotional composer. And then a lot of times as people get older, this is a vast generalization, by the way, this is not, you know, per Mm -hmm. person, but uh, they tend to maybe like more of the classical era of stuff, more of Mozart, um, more of uh, Bach back in the Baroque era. So there's all these different eras of music, but I've noticed that the older the people get, the more their tastes change and they tend to go less from the like chaos and, uh, uh, really sweeping romanticism to more of like a really almost cleaner, but no less emotional sound, which is, which is kind of what your, your classical period has to offer. Um, And then along with that, usually the people that I know that are really, really into classical music have like their one entry point. Like they were like, you know, uh, I, I listened to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which is the, the really big long one that has the famous um, Ode to Joy at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The da, 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 da. That's how that whole symphony ends. And they said, oh, when I listened to that for the first time, like something hit me. And so I had to find out more. So it's just finding out what hits you. And there's truly something in it for everyone. What kind of music do you like uh, out of the classical genre? Oh, well, this is a complicated question because I like a whole bunch of stuff, but when I'm working, when I'm working on preparing something for a performance, I tend not to like that composer quite as much (laughs) (laughs) because I'm in that critical mindset of like, oh, why did you write it this way? So I, I love, um, there's a Belgian violinist that not a ton of people know about. And his name was Eugenie Sai, um, which is spelled, uh, Y-S-A-Y-E. And there's an umlaut somewhere in there that I'm forgetting right now. Um, <laughs> I'm not looking it up. It's okay. I'll take you with Okay, <laughs> great, 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 great. Don't fact check me, but I'm pretty sure it's there. Um, so Eugenie Sai was this um was this Belgian violinist that lived in the late 19th, early 20th century. And he was an enormous fellow and had these huge hands. 
and he composed a bunch of stuff that's really hard, especially for someone like me. My hands are not like actually really ideal for string players. It's, they're not quite as big. So when I learn he size stuff, that like, that's like really hard. But he he composed a lot of really cool, unaccompanied violin stuff, meaning that there's no orchestra, there's no, there's no piano or anything. It's just violin, but it's so complex that it stands alone wonderfully. And the last person before him to do that was Bach way back in the 17th century who really had that kind of collection of works for standalone violin. So I, I, the more that I learn about him and what he did for the face of classical music, the more obsessed I am with him. So he's kind of my, my go-to guy. And talking about composers, you actually interview classical composers. You call it the not dead <laughs> episode. The not dead composers. I know it's every time that, you know, somebody puts on a concert, they always talk about living composers which just hits me as such, again, that's kind of like, that's kind of a snobby way to put it. Oh, look, living composers. So that's my little, that's my little jab. And like, well, look, here's a not dead composer right here. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done three, three of those interviews so far and they've all been fascinating because I am not a composer by, by any sense of the word. So to me, what they do is they create something out of thin air in my mind and it's just magical to me. And they really like talking about their process, I've found, because not a lot of people ask them about that in general. And uh, in order for both the genre to continue and for them to continue doing what they're doing, that's something that should be talked about and kind of publicized and and uh, and uh, put out there. And you do episodes about certain instruments as well. Um, I do. I do. i done, um, let's see, I, I did an episode on the Contra Bassoon with my friend, Nicole, who's amazing. And, uh, you know, I contacted her and I said, you know, the contrabassoon is a really weird instrument. And she was like, yeah, it is. You want me to talk about it? I said, of course I do. (laughs) And she knew, I mean, she's, she's a wonderful performer. She's a composer herself, actually. And she gave me such a great rundown of the contrabassoon. And I got to go in from a distance and record, record her sound as well. And, uh, it was fascinating just to like be, cause I've heard contrabassoons playing in orchestras. They're kind of always like over there on the other side of the room, <laughs> you know? And so I didn't, I, that was my first chance to get a really good close up look. And so I was learning a lot. And I mean, I have, you know, it's, it's really cool that I've, I've got two degrees in music and I'm still learning so much just by virtue of doing this. So that was, that was fascinating. So, so how is a contrabassoon reg- different from a regular bassoon? Yeah, so uh, the regular bassoon is, uh, it's that, how did she put it? She said it's some sort of tube that you see pop up in the orchestra. Right. Uh, looks like a long, I don't know, giant cigar or something. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the contrabassoon is pitched much lower and it's much bigger. And it kind of looks, as curved around, it kind of is shaped like a giant paperclip is what Nicole says. And so it requires you, you don't actually hold it, you set it on the floor and kind of scoot yourself up to it and play it that way. Um, and so it's a much, much lower sound. And I love the way that contrabassoonists are really caring for their craft because for a long, long time, people use it as like comedic flatulent sounds. And orchestras, that's kind of, you go to the contrabassoon for that. Um, and it's fascinating because it's being used more and more for really like musically satisfying things. Yeah, I would imagine probably a very moody piece probably makes a good use of that. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's because it's really rumbly too. Like when it gets down to the lowest part of its register, the lowest notes that it can play, that's the kind of thing you like feel rattling in your sternum. <laughs> As it plays, it kind of makes the whole stage vibrate. It's great. It's it's really fun. You know, and it's funny because people feel that, well, uh, there's really not much that I need to know about classical music, but you think of some of like the greatest movies that make that are made and there are those orchestral pieces that that are in their brain and they're not even thinking about it when they're probably uttering those words. Exactly. I know. It's, and that's one of the things I try to make as an argument. A lot of people believe that classical music is something that's already happened. And it's no, it's happening now. It's presently here. New music is being created all the time. And movie music especially is a great way. That's a great example of, um, yeah, how how classical music is, is new and is on the forefront of what you know. And, uh, you know, and actually uh, one of the greatest ways, if you like the music of let's say John Williams, you know, who composed the themes to Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Superman and Jaws and <laughs> a whole bunch of other things <laughs> so we could just list here. You can actually look back um, on certain pieces and he's really referencing a lot of pieces from the Romantic era that already existed. I always tell my students, John Williams is the best because he stole from the best. Like he's, he's taking, he's lifting some things in a sense and, and putting them because he knew that kind of sound would go perfectly with the, with the scenes of the movies. Yeah. And it's also interesting when you think of the Beatles, the producer that they worked with, George Martin was a classical music guy. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. The ear is there, you know, and the ear and the training and, yeah. Oh gosh, we could talk about the Beatles too. I mean, that was <laughs> because that was such a, a specific, like in my mind, refined sound of pop music. But um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense why he would be there. I mean, it's it's all integrated. What do you think can be done to make classical music more accessible for the masses? That's that's a really great question. I think there's two things that have to happen. I think it has to happen at either end of the pipeline. Um, I think it's got to happen with uh, education when people are young and exposure when people are young, for sure. A lot of uh, outreach to populations who maybe would not have the resources to dive into um, classical music, you know, underserved populations, people of color and, uh, and their communities often don't get the same type of exposure that uh, more perhaps white and more perhaps affluent communities get, which is a big mistake in my mind. Like, why not, why not make that part of the curriculum everywhere. And I know there are lots of really great organizations that are working to try and change that tide right away. And on the other end of it, I have always found it to be a really big divide in concerts when you've got an entire orchestra up on stage and they're dressed in like really fancy clothes and tuxedos. And then you've got the audience and, you know, you come in and you experience the same thing. And then afterwards, there's no integration of the people. You know, the audience doesn't talk to the musicians. The musicians don't talk to the audience. In some cases, they just want to get home. Like, I get that. That's their job. But Newport Symphony that I'm the concert master for, they do this, uh, they do this reception after every concert. And because of that, I've gotten to know so many patrons. And I've gotten to know so many people who ask me questions and then they go, wow, this is great. I can't wait to come back to the next concert. That's what I feel like orchestras need to foster is a complete experience that includes uh, some form of maybe education, talking to the audience, 
some form of just um, networking and, you know, having the people, they experience the same product from two different sides. And I think it's important to have a conversation about that, about what that was like for each side to really experience it to its fullest. And a lot of people are familiar with a lot of current day musicians too, you know, where if you say Eddie Van Halen, 90% of the people know who you're talking about. But sure, if you were to, you know, tell me a, like a, a world-class oboe player or a flautist, I'd be like, well, maybe I heard of them, you know, that, that kind of a different exposure, you know, I guess it also how it's kind of publicized to the media. Right. And yeah, and I'm not sure how to traverse that one. There's this wonderful composer. Uh, she's very famous. Actually, she's won a Pulitzer Prize, if I'm not mistaken. Her name's Caroline Shaw. She's written some wonderful works, wonderful classical works that I really admire. Um, she got known kind of recently in a certain sect of Twitter because she laid down some tracks for Kanye West. And so all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh my gosh, who is this person on Kanye's albums? And you can delve into that. It's, oh, this Caroline Shaw, what else does she do? And I thought that was such a brilliant way to cross genres because that gets you, that gets your name recognizable out there. Takes down the so, wall too. It takes down the wall, yes. There are some musicians I know who are not willing to do that and not willing to go up there. But, um, okay, have you heard of Yo-Yo Ma? Yes, cellist. Cellist, brilliant cellist. And he's absolutely willing to do that. I admire his ability. He crosses genres all the time. And he makes his name known both for his joy and love of classical music, but also he's just kind of willing to try anything. It's mm -hmm. it's all about like encompassing the music for him. And so there are some there are some classical musicians out there who do have that star power like that. Are there other types of music that you like to listen to? Do you keep it wide open or are you Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. I love, let's see, Ben Folds has always been a favorite of mine. I like, I like his stuff. I like uh I've been into the Scissor Sisters forever. They they're a band I really enjoy. Yeah. So uh I don't go to classical music for stuff like working out. It do, it doesn't there's there's just certain pieces that it would work for that, but uh I, I go to my, you know, I go to my EDM and I go to things that really get my heart pumping. Yeah. So I, I try and listen to all kinds of music. Do you ever hear like classical things in the different genres of music? Like yes. coming from giving your background? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. You kind of, when you go to music school, there's a, there's a chord pattern you learn that's uh, kind of known everywhere throughout music. And it's the same one, um, that uh, that's on the with the Pachelbel Canon Canon and D. Actually, would you mind if I grabbed my violin real quick and I could demonstrate that for you? Okay, absolutely. It's right here because I have to practice after we're done with this interview. <laughs> so I brought it with me. I'll do. I'll just do a musical inter interlude while you're getting ready. Dun 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 dun. That was really good. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, she's ready. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Excellent. I got to get the microphone, headphones out of the way. Pachelbel Canon, for those of you who, you, you're probably familiar with it. It's a really, really famous piece that's been in a lot of places, but it's got this walking bass line. That goes on and on and on. And it's actually... The cello part for that, it's those eight notes that I played 
over and over and over again. They literally get eight notes for the entire canon. And it's one of the most boring things for cellists to play. And they'll complain about it every time, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but that chord progression, you can actually match up with other songs and pop music. Just because it's a really satisfying chord progression, it has what's called the uh, the tonic, which is like the home bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you move to... Um, you have a four chord, and then a five chord. And then you move back to the one chord. So it's got development and then tension and release and a lot of the fundamental classical patterns of music involve creating tension and creating release and how much tension and how long you wait for that release um, really differs from composer to composer and style to style but that idea and that notion of creating a predictable tension and release that's in all kinds of pop music. If you listen to it, dubstep uh, and waiting for the bass to drop, that's like the newest version of like creating the tension. We're waiting for that bass to drop. It's getting higher. It's faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, boom. And then you finally have that release. So that's it's a fundamental thing that came from classical music hmm. that's kind of used to its like peak in that way. You know what? I just realized you're the first person I've ever interviewed who was playing a violin while during the interview oh, as well. Excellent. So we have a first for too many podcasts. Woohoo! Excellent. <laughs> so um speaking about podcasts, since this is a podcast about podcasts, what are some of the shows that you like to listen to? I am really into uh a lot of lighthearted comedic things just because I I do a lot of podcasts um when I have to commute places and, um, and you know, when I'm, when I'm going for walks and stuff, I love, um, I've always been a fan of Paula Poundstone's. I listen to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. I've actually been her house band on that, on that podcast once. So that was really fun to do. Um, I, uh, I love, you know, wait, wait, don't tell me. And the classic, uh, NPR podcasts, NPR pop culture, happy hour really is really, it's a great one for me. Yeah, those are kind of my those are kind of my main go tos. They're pretty mainstream ones, but uh, they're always they're solid. They're solid for me. Do you listen to any classical music podcasts, or would you figure you just rather do your own thing so you're you don't no, get influenced? I, I do actually because I wanted to make sure I was actually doing something new. Okay, <laughs> that wasn't already done and saturated. You know, um, there are some great classical music podcasts out there that I listen to. Um, uh, uh, Triloquy, uh, is a great one. And, um, uh, classically black pod- podcast. Those are, those are really great podcasts. They're more focused on the industry side of things and, you know, how certain things work within, you know, while you're a working musician and talking within, uh, with working musicians. And they address a lot of, um, systemic racism, that is something that we as an industry are really grappling with. Um, and so I really appreciate their work and their activism on that. Um, but yeah, other, yeah, other than that, I feel like my, my podcast is about identifying the, the bizarre and sometimes the kooky and sometimes the horrifying in a couple of cases, <laughs> um, parts about, about classical music and especially about music history. Um, and, uh, 
you know, there, there are other people who are doing education and outreach, but those are, those are some other big ones um, that I can think of. Yeah. Do you want to share a little weird tidbit about classical music that people might not know? I don't, maybe you've heard of this term before, and this is something I was, this was my fifth episode. I was, I was really excited to talk about this. Um, I don't know if you've heard the term castrati. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You've heard the term castrati. Yes. Precisely. Um, Look it I up, could, <laughs> I, I dove into um, uh, looking into castrati singers. Uh, who were, you know, if you're not familiar, they were um, boys who were who were castrated before they reached puberty to keep their voices high and elevated. It actually went even deeper than that. Scientists discovered that, that doing that also made you um, go through puberty, made you physiologically different. It made your rib cage and your lungs larger. And um, which, if you're going to be an opera singer, is super advantageous. Sure. Um, so I've never, it's, it's really wacko. It went on for centuries, this practice of castrati. Um, I think the last like legal one to happen was like 1890 something. It went on way longer than it should have. And I've never gotten over the idea that humans did this to other humans for art. Like I did this for the sake of art. I think that's always been so bizarre. And the interesting thing is now that, you know, roles that were written for castrati are still performed today. And they're often performed by uh, mezzo-soprano female singers mm-hmm. um, who will, who will do it uh, oftentimes in drag. They call them pants rolls. Um, and uh, the, the mezzo-soprano that I talked to, she was mentioning that sometimes the phrases are so long. They're so hard for her to get through because her lungs are just not as big as these famous <laughs> artists were way back in the day. Um, so yeah, I've always, that's always stuck in my mind is like, really? We did that? Humans did that? Wow. <laughs> so talk about making a sacrifice for your art form. I'll say, holy cats. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah. So that's always stood out to me as one of the very, very weird things about, about classical music. Okay. I, I like that one. Could you throw another one at me? Is that all right? Sure, sure. Um, all right, so uh, Mozart, uh, probably arguably the fam- most famous, uh, maybe classical composer of all time. Um, again, a lot of people have this idea that classical music is very elitist mm-hmm. and very high class. And Mozart wrote is a collection of letters that people found after he died. Mozart was dirty. He was a dirty bird. And he, you can actually, if you go look it up on Wikipedia, there's an entire entry on Mozart's scatological humor. <laughs> and he joked about poop all the time. And he joked, he was telling a story in one of his letters about um, about how he farted. And his mom was like, I think you farted. And he said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and and that's, that's a whole story. That's an entire letter. It's a story about farting in front of his mom and and uh, he wrote dirty letters to his wife like it's it's so funny because it's so it's so not what people uh think of when they think of proper uh Mozart was not a proper dude he was <laughs> he was way he was way not classy <laughs> I, I guess that kind of gives new meaning to the word uh my, my second movement Ah, excellent. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Don't forget to tip your waitress. 
Okay, so this is cool, and we want listeners to hear stories like this and get to understand classical music, and let's get rid of that stigma. So we have a section of the show. Do you want to do a little string in, uh, intro to it? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. What we'll do we break do? out the real answer? music, folks. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> it's called Shameless Self-Promotion, so... Casey, if you want to let everybody know how they can follow you and get in touch with you, please go right ahead. Absolutely. So the podcast is called Keep Classical Weird. It's uh, at, you can find it at keepclassicalweird.com. You can find it on, uh, it should be on any of your uh, major podcasting apps that you, that you use. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can certainly tweet at me. I'm at Casey Bozell. Her name, Casey Bozell. The show, Keep Classical Weird. Keep keeping it weird, Casey. Thank you so you much. You too. Thanks for coming down for the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the Sherpa. Sorry about that. No. And now it's time for Sherpa Suggestions. So for this week's Sherpa Suggestions, in addition to checking out Casey's podcast, I found a couple of other titles for you to listen to if you would like to learn a little bit more about classical music or even if you know a lot about classical music and you just want to hear just more stuff. There is the Classical Music Podcast, Explore the Symphony, the NACO Cast, N-A-C-O, Classical Music Podcast with Sean Rice. Classical Breakdown, Classical Performance, The Great Composers Podcast, Discovering Classical Music, and Decomposed with Jade Simmons. So if I want to learn more about classical music, in addition to listening to some of these podcasts, there's always sitting down and watching Old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Very special thanks to Casey Bozell of Keep Classical Weird. And we really appreciate her coming down here and spending some time at the Sherpa Chalet. Be sure to check out her podcast and be sure to come back to this podcast. We're on every Wednesday for season six. And you can follow me on social media. Of course, Sherpalution is where you got to go. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all there under Sherpalution. Also, speaking of Sharpolution, there is the website, sharpolution.com. We're going to be talking about that website. There's a lot going on there. And I'm also encouraging you to, if you want, buy a little podcast merchandise, check out the T-Sharpa shop, and you can access that right through my website, sharpolution.com. Wow, how convenient. Okay, Mr. Bruce, please put that baton down and show everyone the door. Or if you want to just conduct them out of here, that'll be kind of cool. I think I hear the flight of the bumblebee. Uh-oh, wait a minute, no, I, I think... Uh-oh, uh-oh. Get, get, get. Somebody hit a hive. Uh-oh, we gotta get out of here. Bye, everybody. Viva the Sharp Illusion. Thanks for listening to Too Many Podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now.
Viva la Chapalition! Viva la Chapalition! <coughs> oh. Yell, come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs>